Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to the fall. We are post-Labor Day here at the Battleground podcast, and we're going to have a full panel today. Jen Epps will be joining us shortly. Jen, of course, is with Wisconsin Jobs Now, and as always, we have Jorna Taylor. Jorna is a political consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna? Good morning. And via phone is Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, how are you doing? Good morning, driving through the rain to another poverty strategy session with our faith-based leaders and allies. Excellent. We have a number of topics that we want to talk about this week. We're going to get started, though, by talking about Representative Robin Voss's secret effort to go after open records again. We're also going to talk about WEDEC this week. They they uh, were before the, the audit committee this week. We're going to have Mike Rosen from AFT Local 212 talking about the new MATC promise, which we think everybody around the state ought to hear about. And then we'll uh, we'll end up the show with a, hitting a number of issues later on. So we're going to get started by talking about Robin Voss's effort that was exposed uh, this week by the Center on Media and Democracy and immediately caught fire within the media. Yeah, and so within three weeks of having the, uh, the bill go down in flames, uh, he was drafting a bill that essentially would allow the legislature to set its own rules on what it needs to do for open records by, by, by rule, which is insane. Jorna, what, I mean... Okay, this was like one of the worst sort of political explosions they had. And three weeks later, he's putting his hand right back on the uh, on the oven. What's what's he thinking here? Uh, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking that they don't need to take responsibility for any of their actions. And if they just change the rules of the game, then instead of being caught with their hands in the cookie jar, they can just eat the cookies and nobody will ever know. <laughs> Robert? Well, look, we knew from the past incident that uh, they don't really believe in open government and open records, and except when it comes to their opponents, they like everything everything negative put out at that point, and they think they're in full control. What's amazing is the audacity of after really being slapped, slapped across the face with a, with a strong public reaction to go at it again, try some other little, little loophole maneuver uh, to get out of open records. It's you know, of course, the question is, what do they have to hide? If, they're, if, if it's supposed to be democratic government, even if they have the votes to do what they want, we should at least know what they're doing and why. Look, and this this effort was immediately bashed uh, pretty much all all across the board, including Bill Luters, who, who said that this would essentially give them carte blanche to deny access to any record, basically, whenever they feel like it. So, again, as Jorna, you mentioned this, it's a real, it's part of this culture of not, taking responsibility for their own actions and trying to avoid any sort of real accountability and transparency that we have seen repeatedly. And this this effort, which let's, for the record, Voss immediately denied that there's going to be any effort to, to repeal this and suggest that he was only doing this to try to get the, the process started on, on discussion afterwards. But um, <laughs> given the way this rolled out, that is impossible to believe <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry uh, he just wanted to get what process started is my question the i mean of democracy right the, the process of you know lack of transparency and doing everything behind closed doors and having that be 100 percent legal you know his spokeswoman is quoted as saying we wanted it on record and to be transparent that there were only two changes that we wanted wait i'm so confused so you <laughs> wanted transparency or you didn't want transparency i, I 
you know, it's unclear. Classic kind of bossism, because there's no public outcry for closed records. This is not coming from constituents. And in fact, this is quite the other way around. They're kind of, they're so far on the far right, they're testing the envelope. They're like, kind of like an adolescent, and they got, and they didn't, in last way, they thought they'd try another way. It's sort of like the teenagers speaking out the door a different way um, after hours. I mean, this is literally what we've come down to here in Wisconsin. Well, look, we're going to continue to watch this. Um, we don't think we've by any means seen the last of it, and this effort clearly points to that. It's worth pointing out that uh, Democratic Minority Leader Peter Barca said that we ought to amend the state constitution to protect open records. So it'll be interesting to sort of see how Democrats play this, because this is a huge gaffe on their part that they seem to want to keep doing. So we're going to continue to watch it. So fortunately, Jen has been able to join us. And uh, Jen, welcome uh, to the podcast. Good to have you back. Good morning, everyone from beautiful Colorado. So, Jen, we we know you were down in Texas, and we didn't we didn't bring home Badger victory, but uh, certainly I'm sure uh, much we needed. Home a, a Badger butt kicking. So <laughs> we brought home. But I must say, I saw pictures of the family, and you were probably the best dressed family at uh, Texas Stadium. So I hope you and your family had a great vacation. We did. We had a great time. Thanks. So, well, welcome back, and we have you have big news for us that we want our listeners to hear. So why don't, uh, with that, why don't you take it away? I do. I, it's, uh, you know, humbling and with so much appreciation for the experience I've had over the last two years that I'm announcing that I'm going to be resigning as the executive director of Wisconsin Jobs Now. Uh, many, many folks out there in the progressive community have been aware that my husband was diagnosed with MS, with multiple sclerosis. And, um, you know, it's been a big transition for our family and, and something that we really needed to spend more time together rallying around him and helping to get his health on track. And we needed to um, figure out where the best place for him to stay healthy was going to be. And so um, we're actually going to be moving out to Los Angeles uh, where he can uh, get the treatment that he needs to, to lead a healthy lifestyle and be around for our family, um, which means that I have to leave Wisconsin. So it's a pretty bitter, bittersweet time. Wisconsin's my home. It always has been. And, um, you know, I believe so deeply in the promise of this state. And it's, it's difficult for all of us to leave. You know, we are third-generation Wisconsinites, both my husband and I. And, uh, you know, we're going to miss the progressive infrastructure, but I know we'll stay connected. Uh, we're sustaining members of multiple organizations hmm. across the um, state, and we are going to stay connected to our friends here and pitch in when we can and hopefully come back for some canvassing during the election. So, um, you know, I'll be transitioning out through December. I'll stay on halftime through December, but it means that Wisconsin Jobs now is hiring for a new executive director. Um, and we are so excited about the program we're running with the Wisconsin Freedom Compact and, you know, talking to everybody across the state about what Wisconsin means to them and, and why they're fighting for a state that works for everyone. So, um, you know, please join me in becoming a sustaining member of Wisconsin Jobs Now and also the many other great organizations. It's just $10 a month um, for most organizations. You can layer on three or four of them and really have an impact on the sustainability of the groups that are fighting for a better way of life for everyone. So I just encourage everybody to honor this moment by pitching in and, and stepping up. Well, Jen, obviously, you know, family comes first. And so 
you know, it's a it's a big move, but we want to thank you for for everything that you've done here in Wisconsin and and your family, right? We know that family's involved in all this. So, on behalf of Citizen Action, right, uh, we really appreciate the work and uh, hope the best for for you and your family going forward. And and really want to thank you for being on this podcast for many years and offering your insight. So we we really appreciate it and offer you know hope the best for you. We'll miss you, Jen. Don't make me cry, y'all. <laughs> Here's Robert, and let me just say, uh, for those of you who don't know Jen's whole history, uh, she cut her organizing chops originally in a group called Good Jobs and Livable Neighborhoods, uh, which then merged with Citizen Action. She was a Citizen Action Wisconsin organizer, then her economic justice director, before she became executive director of Wisconsin Jobs Now, and she's just made a huge impact in a very short time. She's been like a comet across the scene of uh, Wisconsin progressive politics. So we know you're a native Milwaukeean, and you'll still be you'll still be visiting, and we'll still get to see you, uh, talk to you from time to time. Uh, so, but it's obviously been incredibly great to work with you, and we expect to still know you and still want track your career uh, in California nationally from here. Uh, thank you all so much. It's really touching. <laughs> You guys are going to make me cry this early in the morning. But <laughs> well, you know what? I Honestly, um, so many people across the state have invested in my development from teachers uh, to, you know, folks at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, all of the organizations and organizers I've worked with. Everybody has really touched me, and I feel like from each person I've grown and, and learned. So I'm so appreciative of the opportunities I've had here. But I'm more excited. I, I, I have been involved in the conversations across the state with organizations and the strategies that are aligning. And I think that we are poised to have a breakthrough moment in Wisconsin. And, and this is the election to do it, starting at the local level, building to our national presence, returning folks to the Senate um, that should have never left. There's so much to do. And so I hope our listeners will, will get involved. And I can promise and make the commitment that I'm definitely not going anywhere. I'm still going to be involved. My my family, my in-laws, my parents, we all still live here. So I'm looking forward to joining everybody in this moment. Well, Jen, I used to live in Los Angeles, so I'm looking forward to now knowing I may have a place I can go visit. Uh, I love LA. You're going to love it. It's, a, it's an amazing place, but uh, we're going to miss you. But I want to transition. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, the positive about what you see in the future here for Wisconsin. And that is actually an excellent transition because our next guest is uh, Michael Rosen. Michael Rosen is uh, the pr- president of the AFT Local 212, which is the Milwaukee Area Technical College local. And this week it, there was a huge announcement, and that was that the Milwaukee Area Technical College has a new program called the MATC Promise, which makes a commitment to low-income students, high school students in its area, which is the Milwaukee area, Fort County area, that if they uh, make some basic minimums and are eligible for MATC, that they will be able to attend free. So, Michael, we're really glad that you took the time to join us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So, Michael, obviously this is uh, a huge deal, and it's it's very optimistic and forward-looking. Could you tell us, tell our listeners exactly what the MATC promise is? The MATC Promise is an attempt by the MATC community, the college, uh, Local 212, uh, the board, the entire community, to make college quality education for two years uh, free for any qualified student from the Milwaukee Area District. 
there are certain qualifications, but we're trying to build on President Obama's agenda, which is to address inequality by making two years of college tuition free. And that's really the purpose. And for our listeners, we will have links on the site with details about exactly what all the qualifications are. And there's an excellent graphic we'll, inc- we'll also include. Um, hey, Robert, follow up. So, Michael, say a little about the role of MATC. I mean, people in, around the state, I think, know its reputation. But when we talk about um, higher education being a gateway to opportunity, just walking through MATC during the beginning of the fall semester and seeing the diversity of the students and seeing how earnest they are waiting in line in order to accept their, uh, to uh, sign up for their classes, it, it just is striking what, what kind of a role it plays in actually making uh, yeah. Access to the American Dream a real possibility uh, here in Milwaukee and around the state. I'm very proud to have taught here for this is the beginning of my 28th year, and, and, and the reason is because uh, while at almost every level of government what we've seen is a, a, an attack and a fraying of, the, of what we would call the social safety net, uh, MATC remains one of the only options for people who are unemployed, dislocated workers, returning veterans, people who are underemployed. It's one of the only institutions left that it essentially reaches out a helping hand. Seventy-two percent of our students, our full-time students, are on Pell Grants. That's a federal grant program that pay, provides a certain amount of money to pay for education. And the fact that 72% of our student, full-time students are on that indicates that the vast majority of our students are, are low-income students because that's qualification for Pell Grants. We are the only majority-minority college in the state, and we have more students of color, African-Americans, 35%, Latinos, 20%, a large Hmong population, a very large immigrant population, uh, not only from uh, Mexico and Central America, but large numbers from the Middle East and Africa. Uh, And we open our doors for all of these students. Some, like the immigrant students, are here for English as a second language primarily. Others are here, the vast majority are here to get training so that they can either obtain a family-supporting job or increase their skills so that they can move up a career ladder in the job that they currently are at. Uh, The idea of the promise is to increase the enrollment of students who are immediately leaving high school. The average age of our students is 30 years old. Most of them have been out in the workforce have, as I said, have lost jobs or returning from the military or are underemployed. The number of students who come directly from high school is only a, is a relatively small number. Yet, we think we provide an education and an opportunity for those students that is underutilized. And the idea of the promise, which would be to provide free tuition to any Milwaukee District student uh, who qualifies for federal financial aid and has graduated within uh, the last six months, beginning next fall, it won't become operational until next fall, is a program that will hopefully increase the number of students who are leaving high school and end up working at a McDonald's or 
uh, some other kind of fast food restaurant without a real career path. Jen? First of all, I just want to say what incredibly exciting news this is and just say kudos to everybody involved. Um, you know, our members, this is an issue that impacts them so directly. You know, they're working in low-wage jobs in the service sector, whether it's in retail or, or fast food or home care. Um, and, you know, they say, everybody keeps telling me I need to get an education, but how can I afford to get an education with what college costs and what I, be, what I am paid? So, this, you know, this is an issue that directly relates, connects to them, and I think something that we need to expand upon. I mean, any student in this state that works hard enough to graduate from high school and to get into college should be able to afford to go, and not just to the technical colleges and the two-year colleges, but also we know, Michael, a lot of your students, when they graduate from the two-year degree, um, they transfer to a four-year university and they, you know, obtain their bachelor's degree. And they're, those students are talking about the low-income students who are relying upon ever-dwindling grant programs that are, um, you know, less and less each year. Those students should have the same opportunity if they worked hard enough to, you know, start at MATC and transfer to UWM or transfer to UW Madison. They should be they should be able to have the same opportunity to go as anybody else if they've earned it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, I mean, I I would make two points. The first is that when the technical college system was set up, when MATC was established in the early 70s, there was no tuition at all, and the fact that we have tuition. Uh, at MATC and other technical colleges is a direct result of the failure of the state of Wisconsin to meet its commitment to invest in technical colleges. Up until uh, the mid-80s, the state uh, supplied technical colleges with about a third of their funding. Uh, in fact, the, the funding model for tech colleges was a third state funding, a third local property tax, and a third other sources, but did not include tuition. Today, uh, at MATC and other technical colleges around the state. Property taxes are close to 60%. The uh, state contribution is less than 10%, and tuition is around 30%. So the model has been distorted, and, the, and that began in the 1980s under uh, Governor Thompson. Uh, and frankly, it hasn't mattered who was in office, Democrat or Republican, uh, there's been a real failure to fund the tech colleges from the, at the state level. Uh, and that's, that has caused tuition to rise. The other point is that around the world, around the world in countries like Denmark, et cetera, college education is free. If someone gets in, they recognize that public education, that a higher education is a public good. Not only does the student benefit, but future employers benefit and the society benefits, and therefore, if you are qualified and can get into school, uh, you're actually paid. In fact, in some places like Finland and Denmark, the students, once they're in school, not only is the tuition free, but they're given a stipend so that they can devote themselves to their studies. It's a much more progressive, uh, thoughtful system uh, that recognizes that having an educated populace is not only good for the economy, but it's good for democracy. The exact system that the Freedom Compact was modeling its plan after, and you know, MacGyver's already gotten on us about calling for six billion dollars for universal education. But when you think of it and the return on that investment, it's it's really small potatoes, especially when you start to realize that we can pay for 
making sure that every single parent has access to high-quality child care, making sure our K-12 education system is the most invested in the country, and making sure that every uh, you know, student who works hard enough to get into college can go, we can afford to pay for it by changing the priorities in our revenues. So it's exactly the type of system that builds a strong economy and that ensures that this uh, growth level of economic injustice and inequality that we see spreading across the state, and not just in Milwaukee. We have to remember that poverty grew in all 72 counties in Wisconsin over the last year. We have to remember that Wisconsin's the state where the middle class has seen the largest decline in their income. And, um, you know, smart policies like this that invest in people and our human capital, that's what can turn a state around. So, again, kudos. And, you know, Wisconsin Jobs Now looks so forward to working with you as we go out there and talk to students and talk to young people and make sure that they can take advantage of this incredible program. So thank you for what you're doing. One of the things that I think is worth pointing out is that for every dollar that is invested in technical colleges, every dollar of tax when it's invested in technical colleges, the technical colleges generate $12.20 in the local economy. So it's this is not uh, something that doesn't generate a great return. In fact, the return on investment is greater than what anybody is getting in the stock market, for example, today. Uh, and if I told you that you could get a 12-to-1 return uh, on an investment, a uh, private investment, people would make it. But that's exactly the impact because not only does the does a technical college education uh, increase the earnings of the, grad, the student to graduate, but it generates tremendous economic activity in the area as MATC buys products and uh, equipment and services from other companies, et cetera. But the bottom line aim of this program is to deal with the reality that college education is becoming increasingly inaccessible to large numbers of people in our community. And that's contrary to what America is supposed to be about. We are supposed to be allegedly a land of opportunity. And one of the avenues for opportunity, not the only one, but one of them, is for people to have access to an affordable, quality education. And the MATC promise, that's its objective, to provide qualified students in the Milwaukee area. And by qualified, we basically mean they have to have a 2.0 average when they graduate. They have to have had 90% attendance uh, the year uh, previous year, their senior year of high school. And they have to agree to an eight hours of service learning while they're in the program that those students should have the opportunity to get or obtain a quality and affordable education. And we're committed to making that happen. This is Jorna, and thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Um, you know, Jen and I both come out of student organizing back, I won't mention how long ago that was, Jen, um, to be kind, but, um, you know, that was primarily around the University of Wisconsin system and what you're talking about, affordable, quality education, public higher education uh, is exactly what we were advocating for back then and now. You know, I can remember us being on the steps of the Madison Capitol, the Capitol in D.C., chanting about how education is a right. And particularly as we see these dramatic cuts coming to the University of Wisconsin system, 
I can only hope that folks will see this opportunity at METC and really take advantage of your forward thinking and your investment into the future of our state, and in particular, the investment into the future of Milwaukee, and take you up on this and use MATC to really bring those, you know, $1 invested into a student as a $12 um, return to the city's and state's economy. So thank you for this great leap forward. Yeah, and please, I mean, one of the things that will help, uh, and this is for all the listeners, is to encourage students that you know who are entering their senior year right now to take a look at MATC. MATC and is a is a very large college. We have a health division, a business division. We have a uh, we teach everything from gaming and am- animation uh, to nursing to accounting to uh, more traditional occupations like machining and welding. Uh, but people really should take a look. We also have a large liberal arts school, uh, and many students, as Jen pointed out, come here to transfer to other to four-year universities. We have articulation agreements with both UWM and UW. We have something called the Urban Teacher Education Program, uh, which uh, guarantees students who maintain a 3.0 average of admittance into either UWM or UW-Madison's teacher education program. We have a ChemTech program, which is those are jobs that are in great demand in the private sector, and it, I could keep I could go on and on, but the fact is that many people don't know about the tremendous asset and facilities MATC has, and one of the things that I hear from students all the time is who transfer to UWM or UW Madison is what they like about MATC is that they're they're in classes that at the largest are 35 to 1, and those are liberal arts classes. In the hands-on technical training, uh, classes are usually 12 to 1. Uh, and so they have they students meet with their instructors, not with TAs, and they are able to build a relationship with their faculty members. And that's very important for students when they're starting their academic careers. Michael. A lot of people have heard about this push at the legislature to try to merge the two WUW colleges with the tech colleges. So I want, we want to get your quick thoughts on that. Yeah. There have been attempts to do this in other states, from Alaska to Georgia, from New Jersey to Minnesota. In every single state that this has been tried, it has been an abysmal failure. And the, it hasn't saved money, which is the goal of those who are trying to Uh, do it in Wisconsin. They don't say we're trying to save money. They say we're seeking efficiencies. So that's a code word for saving money. Uh, In none of the states where this has been tried has it saved money. But what it has done has led to organizational dysfunction and employee uh, and declines in employee morale. And the reason is that the two systems have different functions. They serve different student populations. They have different missions, and when you try to put a square peg in a round hole, it doesn't work. We have two systems, both of which that work fairly well. The two-year UW system is a junior college system. Students go there for a variety of reasons. They want to stay at, live at home. They don't have the money to go to a, a, res, a resident campus. 
to get two years of a bachelor's degree to transfer to a four-year school. It's a traditional junior college. Technical colleges provide seminal degrees, either diplomas or associate degrees, that certify people's competencies in a particular area, whether it's nursing, gaming, heating and air conditioning. And what that does is it leads directly to employment. Now, some of our students eventually end up transferring, like in in, in, um, in, uh, civil engineering, many of the students transfer to MSOE or other schools to pursue the four-year degree. But that's not the general mission of the college, and most of our students don't come here to transfer to other schools. They come here to upgrade their skills or to become employed because they have families to support. To merge those two systems, which have different, as I said, missions, different cultures, and different student bodies, hasn't worked anyplace else, and there's no reason it would work here. Let me just pose this to your listeners. The same people who are proposing this organizational change are the same people that gave us the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, which has been a disaster. It was supposed to be more flexible, more efficient, and instead what we've seen is that it has squandered hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars in an unaccountable fashion, just handing it out to private companies, many of whom are simply financiers of Governor Walker. Why would we trust people who created that fiasco to now reorganize our technical college and two-year UW system? You'd have to be crazy to do that. Sounds just like WIDEC. They want to they make it just like WIDEC, because that was a resounding success. Well, Michael, you have uh, inadvertently... Uh stumbled upon our next topic, which is, uh, and, and as long as you're on, Michael, you are an economic uh, expert. Um, we just, we're, we're going to be, we're talking about the, the committee hearing where the, the audit, the May audit of WEDEC was presented this week, and it was just amazing. Um, we record Thursday mornings, and this, this just happened yesterday, Wednesday, but you essentially had Republicans, and John Nigren in particular, trying to suggest that in spite of multiple audits, law-breaking, not following their own rules, not doing anything of any competency, that somehow this was the Commerce Department's fault for a lot of this. A complete lack of accountability over there. Uh, so your, your comparison to would we want this for the education system is, is certainly apt because uh, the WEDEC train wreck just continues and, and seems uh, not to ever have an end. It's just like, uh, it's unbelievable Groundhog Day with, with, with these folks. When you put people who don't believe that government has a role in the economy in charge of a government agency, even if it's semi-privatized now, uh, those are the results that you're going to get. What should be happening at WEDEC right now is that the people who run it, including Governor Walker, should be charged with corruption because it's very clear from all of the audits that have been done and the exposés that have even been done by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that uh, this isn't simply some accounting errors. There have been flagrant violations of ethics in terms of the behavior of people running this organization. We knew this was going to happen because it was modeled after a similar effort in Indiana. The question people really should should be asking themselves is, why would 
people want to take a public organization, that is the Department of Commerce, which is therefore accountable to voters and the taxpayers, and turn it into a quasi-private organization. The only logical explanation is to avoid accountability. And what has happened is that the behavior, and by behavior I mean not accounting for huge of millions of dollars worth of grants, using uh, taxpayer money to buy tickets to Badger games and to buy alcohol, those kind of activities, those are criminal activities, and they should be treated as such. I think Michael is right on the money here. It's interesting because, Michael, you pointed out, you started out by saying they don't believe in government having a role in the economy. They do to the extent that they're fine with uh, giving away uh, public money to their political friends, and they're fine with rigging the economy in favor of uh, the powerful and large corporations. What they're against is the government stepping in any way to try to create a fair playing field for everyone else. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, their rhetoric is that they don't believe there's a role for government in the economy. We know that they actually are people who do not believe in local control. They're attempting to take it away in Milwaukee by uh, taking over the Milwaukee public schools. They've already done that at, at Milwaukee Area Technical College, the only technical college in the state that has had its board composition changed uh, by the uh, Republicans in the legislature. Uh, and you're absolutely right. They believe the government's role is to provide whatever resources private sector companies want without any accountability. So their rhetoric is in contrast with their behavior. So what you hear is you hear that there's all this government red tape and regulation, which makes it all sound pointless and just bureaucrats getting in the way. It turns out that means things such as even tracking whether the jobs that a company promised to create in return for public money are actually created. So that's what they meant by red tape. So remember that the next time you hear about overregulation, the next time you hear a Republican presidential candidate like Ben Carson claim that all we have to do is remove all this needless regulation. But the second thing is, all they're, they're fine with helping well-connected cronies and, and, and just handing out vital large corporations, because they believe that will lead to a public good naturally in some way. They're against doing anything about, say, a misfit in jobs. Now, in Milwaukee, we have most of the jobs being created on Waukesha County, where there's no public transit for the people being created in the city and the county of Milwaukee itself, where there's a huge number of people who need jobs. We have the highest African-American unemployment rate in the country, according to Cal. And they, they, they believe that's intervening in some inappropriate way. So they're just saying, hand out the money to whoever wants it on their side and just hope for the best. That's their economic policy. And don't have any strings, because these are the great job creators. They know what to do. And now we see the results of that. It's like 19th century Gilded Age uh, corruption all over again. Yeah, and, I, and what is astounding is that, and I think people need to be very aware, that Governor Walker headed this agency because this was the agency that was going to be the agency leading to his ability to create 250,000 new private sector jobs, a, a goal that he didn't come close to achieving. Uh, and that's because uh, you do not – trickle-down economics does not work. And in essence – what the uh, Weed Act is about is trickle-down economics. It is let's subsidize any corporation that comes with its hand out. And, and this is another thing in terms of the hypocrisy. Uh, you have Governor Walker 
uh, and the legislature passing legislation this year that requires people who uh, are eligible for food stamps and unemployment. And those are benefits that people have earned. They've earned them by paying taxes over many, many years. And then they lose their jobs and they qualify for unemployment. Or they lose their job and they have to collect, go on, get food stamps because they aren't earning enough money to put food on their table, or they're working at a job at seven twenty-five an hour, or not seven dollars, eight dollars an hour, and they can't put food on the table. And so he wants them to have to take uh, pee in a cup uh, to prove that they're drug-free. But we're giving literally millions of dollars to corporate CEOs without any accountability at all, and at least. Equity would demand that these CEOs of these corporations who are getting the Weed Act money should be peeing in cups as well. In fact, they should be taking drop, dropping more than that. <laughs> well, uh, so this whole Weed Act stuff and then the lack of Republicans taking responsibility, uh, it really sort of reminds me of when we blame the president who is in office, um, you know, hashtag blame Obama. Uh, we blame the president in office for what has happened right now or in the past, but when things are good, then they take credit for what, you know, George Bush may, W may have done. So blaming commerce for Weedex failures is just another lack of taking responsibility for any of the damage that they have done to the state's economy, the lack of job creation, and frankly, um, is really not taking any responsibility for the fact that they've been handing out these loans to their corporate cronies for years now. Isn't it ironic that uh, the very people in the legislature who are always demanding accountability from unemployed workers, from low-wage workers who are having to uh, rely on food stamps, from students, from teachers, refuse to take any accountability when it's exposed that they are really engaged in, for lack of a better term, corrupt activity and uh, giving out grants without any quid pro quos to, to people who have helped finance their campaigns. It's outrageous, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's hypocritical. So, Michael, we're going to switch to our last topic, and, and we want to quickly do a summary of Labor Day. I know, uh, Jen... You were at Labor Day. Michael, you were at Labor Day. I know I was. Robert, uh, Jen, I know you had some thoughts on Labor Day that you wanted to make sure we left with our listeners. Well, I just, I was really excited at Labor Day. It was so much fun. So many people out, a really large, nice crowd. But I just wanted to say how proud I was um, for the Fight for 15 workers who, who came together and organized the contingent. And there were workers uh, uh who were Teamsters members uh, with UPS. There were uh, workers with SEIU Healthcare and with, uh, you know, the, the Milwaukee Workers Organizing Committee. There were so many different groups of workers. And then I thought what, one thing that was really cool to me was to see um, a lot of the other labor brothers and sisters coming and picking up Fight for 15 signs and marching with them in their contingent, really supporting this new group of potential labor union members, especially young people. These, these were... A lot of these folks are young, and this is their first connection to the union movement, and it was great to see it be so positive. Jen, I was marching with some educators, and uh, both the father and the 
uh, young daughter were carrying Fight for 15 signs. So yes, there were. I I would uh, echo that. It was definitely spread throughout. And I think, look, this connects to this broader movement, right? That's been moving, and and we want to make sure our listeners know also. Uh, that there is a bill out there that Melissa Sargent has authored to raise the minimum wage to 15, to have a pathway to 15. want to let listeners know that the committee chairman who could allow that bill to have a hearing is Gary Tauschen. And as of today, a number of workers are going to his office to request a public hearing. So we're going to, I want to encourage our listeners to call his office. We'll have a contact info um, on the website, but call and encourage him that he needs to schedule a public hearing on a $15 minimum wage. Mike, did you have any thoughts on Labor Day? I enjoyed it. I want to give uh, a, a real shout out to the Wisconsin Jobs Now. The the most dynamic and exciting group there was uh, uh, their contingent. They were uh, vocal. They were well organized. Uh, they obviously had a good time. Uh, it reminded me of a few years ago when uh, we had a large contingent of undocumented workers uh, who joined the march. They bring energy. And they bring energy to the labor movement, which sometimes is lacking energy. Uh, they bring not only energy, but passion and commitment. And uh, it's organizations like Wisconsin Jobs Now and Voces de la Frontera that are going to help revitalize the labor movement and help rebuild the middle class in Milwaukee and in the state. So with that, we are going to move to our weekend furlough section because we have run on here. So, Michael, I, you know, I don't know if you listen, but we ask everyone each week to tell us one interesting thing they might be doing this weekend when they come out of their political bunkers. Michael, what what are you recommending to our listeners that they ought to be doing this weekend? <laughs> doing this weekend? I don't know. Uh, there is a... Uh, okay, we're going to pass on Michael, uh, and we're going to go to Jen Epps uh, Addison, who always has something fun to say. Jen! Well, I'm having going to have an awesome weekend because I will be in L.A. Uh, looking for a school for my children and, and a, an apartment to rent. So, um, God willing, I'll have rented a place by Sunday and have some place to live. <laughs> All right. Now we're back to Michael Rosen, who's had an extra 15 seconds. Michael, what are you recommending this weekend? <laughs> I was going to say that... Uh, the Public Theater is having a fundraiser on Saturday night, and it looks like a really fun time. I think it's a good organization, worth supporting, and I'd encourage people to uh, check that out and go to it. And, of course, there'll be lots of youth soccer games this weekend. Well, excellent. Jorna, what are you doing? So I actually um, purchased a new horse last weekend, and his name is Reno. And Uh-oh. <laughs> George is going to be upset. I'm already angry. I'm, as a George partisan, I feel like you've sort of set him out to just go away. Um, but Reno will be moving to his new barn in Door County. He's going to stay with my mom's horse for a few months, and so I will be up hanging out with my new horse. Okay, she, just so our listeners know, Jorna is decked out in full cowgirl gear. She's got a huge belt buckle it's boots. Fall. It's Oh, it's fall. No, no, horses on the brain. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? You probably won't consider it very exciting, Matt. It's always Rob. exciting, Robert. It's I, always. I am at Wisconsin Rapids on Saturday to present and speak to Democrats. The Democratic Party is having, party chairs having a meeting on issue and message framing. So I'm leading 
uh, the discussions on health care and the economy. And, of course, being economical, uh, my staff will be all over me for this. They hate when I do this. I'm staying in a motel Friday night that is going to cost $32. So we'll have to have a, Kevin has taught me how to do a bed bug inspection. So I'll get it. That doesn't sound like fun. Yeah, well, thank you, Mike. See, Mike, you're getting into the spirit of this. Really what the Battleground Podcast weekend furlough section is, is the time where everyone makes fun of Robert. Robert, $32. Come on. Jeez. All right. Well, I... I was, I, I was in River Falls last <laughs> weekend for a wedding, uh, but I didn't stay at a hotel that was $32. Well, that's because you were probably traveling with somebody, and, and the room required more than one person to fit into it. So... Robert is Robert is definitely known for being efficient. And look, we have a we have a very high functioning organization because of it. In fairness, I had coupons, so that's It only gets better, Mike. Right? So uh, uh, you know, I would inspect not only for bugs, but whether they've washed the sheet. <laughs> oh, Michael, we've appreciated your presence this week. You would fit in with my theme for the podcast. So, yeah, no, this weekend I'm back to dirt bike racing with my son. We got a double header out at Beaver Cycle Club up in Atwater, Wisconsin, Saturday night and Sunday. So good times. And with that, oh, one other thing. I want our listeners to know if you are available on Saturday, if, if this at noon in Milwaukee, there is canvassing. Uh, to encourage aldermen here in Milwaukee to to get the bucks to put in, uh, to, to commit to really good jobs for the permanent jobs around the arena. I will have links and information to that, including a flyer on the on the on the uh, website for for folks yeah, to go to. Really want to encourage people to get out noon this week here in Milwaukee. So with that, we're going to bring this Battleground podcast to a close. Want to thank Mike Rosen and everyone, and we'll see everybody next week. Oh, and of course, want to thank our producer, Brian Woolridge, who makes it happen every week, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin podcast.